So family, today we're going to continue with the series that we've been preaching about the church that Jesus is coming back for, and we're looking at part three. And I want to continue by saying that the closest thing to the heart of God is His church. There has always been a church, right from in the Garden of Eden to where Moses leads God's people out of Egypt to where Joshua then leads them into the land of Canaan, and then to where Jesus himself speaks about the church in Matthew 16, to where the 120 were gathered in the upper room, shut away and locked down for several days. And then, of course, you know the story, the Holy Ghost is poured out on them. And uh, on that day, 3,000 people are born again. And officially, for the records, the church was started. But the point that I'm trying to make is that there has always been a church. And Jesus one day is coming back for his most prized possession, his church. And when he comes back, whenever that day might be, Jesus is coming back for an overcoming, victorious, and triumphant church. And I want to tell you that his church is the visible corporate expression of the life of Christ. And that life is the life that is working within as many diverse people from all kinds of backgrounds and cultures and ethnicities, tongues, and tribes. And the amazing thing is that God does nothing on this earth except it be through the expression of His church. Here's what I want to tell you, is that God administrates the affairs of the earth through His church. In other words, family, what I'm trying to tell you is that the way he gets to bring heaven down to earth is through his church. And God has employed all of heaven and all of the resources of heaven to back up his church. As a matter of fact, God himself has deployed his very best. That's Jesus who came to this earth and paid the ransom price to redeem you and I, his greatest masterpiece, back unto himself. So what does that mean? It is impossible for his church to fail. Would you say that with me? It is impossible for his church to fail. Right. That's, that's important. So, uh, and, and I'm saying that why? Because it's possible for every other system in the world to fail. And we are seeing that happening right before our very own eyes, that the systems of this world are collapsing. But again, it is impossible for his church to fail. Why? Because God has too much vested interest in her. That's right. And when I'm talking about her, I'm talking about you and me. God has too much vested interest in you and me. And I want that firmly settled in your hearts today, family. I want you to embrace that wholeheartedly. And I have been purposely repeating myself. Why? So that no matter what we might be facing, no matter what we might be up against, no matter who's saying what, no matter who's doing what, that in all things... And in all situations, in all circumstances, in everything, you and I, as, as the church, are overcomers, we are victorious, and we are triumphant. And I want you to never, ever forget that. But what kind of church is Jesus coming back for? 
Well, today I want to look at Revelations chapter 19, and we're going to begin to read from verse 6 in the New King James Version. And it says there, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. And then verse 7 says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. I want to look at verse 7 in the New Living Translation. Right at the end there it says, His bride has prepared herself. The Passion Translation says, His bride has made herself ready. I think that's powerful. There are many ways in the Bible that God uses to describe His church. And one of the ways God uses to describe His church is as His bride. And when you think about a bride, you automatically think about a woman. But you need to understand that the fact that we are male and female is because of the earthly roles we play on this earth. Galatians 3 and 28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So, this is my next statement. In Eden, God created a bride for Adam. And then we read in Genesis 2.18, New King James Version, it says there, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. The King James says, I will make him an helpmeet for him. In other words, the bride was meat for Adam. And that word meat means uh, one that was suitable, fitting, adapted to, and one that completed him. Lamb's translation says, a helper who is like him. So just as God presented a suitable bride to the first Adam, so too one day God will present a suitable bride to Jesus, who is the last Adam. And you and I are the bride. But how does one become a bride? Well, it begins with a man and a woman entering into a relationship, all right? And then they fall in love with each other, and then they begin what we call the courtship phase. And I want to just say that falling in love means that he has eyes only for her, and she has eyes only for him. And over time, this relationship becomes serious, and one day, on bended knee, he proposes to her, and they are engaged, with, of course, the promise of one day being wedded together. And so they set a date, and the wedding preparation begins, and there's much excitement, and there's many arrangements. And then you look at the wedding preparations. For example, a suitable venue has to be found, and after searching high and low, they find a suitable venue. And then the groom, he has to get all his things together, all of the, of the you know, just the gear and the, uh, and the outfit that he's going to wear. And then, of course, he chooses his groomsmen, and they are dressed and ready. 
And then the wedding retinue has to get ready. And we talk about the bridesmaids and the maids of honor and all of them are ready. And they got their dresses ready. And then uh, the flower girls and the page boys and all of that is ready. And everybody is ready. And the thing that finally triggers the end of the wait and the beginning of something phenomenal that's about to happen is that finally the bride is ready. Hallelujah. And that day can really only be consummated when the bride is well and truly ready. And the church that Jesus is coming back for one day, whenever that day will be, will be for a bride that has readied herself. I like what Paul writes to the church of Ephesus. And, uh, you know, if there's anybody like Paul, I mean, he has so much insight, really like no other. But he writes about the fivefold ministry gifts that Jesus has given to the church. And those fivefold ministry gifts are given for this very reason that the bride, Jesus' bride, might get herself ready. Look at what he says in Ephesians 4 and verse 11 in the New King James Version. He says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Verse 12, For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I like the way the Passion Translation puts it. There in verse 11, he has appointed some with grace to be apostles and some with grace to be prophets and some with grace to be evangelists and some with grace to be pastors and some with grace. It takes a lot of grace to operate in these fivefold ministry gifts. But verse 12 says, and their calling is to nurture and prepare all the holy believers to do their own works of ministry. And as they do this, they will enlarge and build up the body of Christ. And verse 13 says, these grace ministries will function until we all attain oneness in the faith, until we all experience the fullness of what it means to know the Son of God. And finally, we become one perfect man with the full dimensions of spiritual maturity and fully developed in the abundance of Christ. My goodness, that really puts it in a very beautiful way. But you see, you and I entered into a relationship with Jesus the day that we got born again. And then through the baptism of the Holy Ghost, we were espoused to Him. That means that the fact that God gave you the Holy Ghost, evidenced by you and I speaking in other tongues, is proof that He's coming back again. The Holy Ghost is the down payment, the guarantee, the seal that one day Jesus is coming back for you and for me. And when He does, it will be the consummation of that relationship. But until such time, family, we are reading ourselves. Notice that Paul gives us clues as to the readiness of the bride. Number one, he says there's going to be a oneness in the faith. 
That means that we have to get rid of all forms of schism, divisions, segregations, and may I say even denominationalism. You know, uh, when you look at Israel, we know that they were one, one group, one nation, but th there were 12 tribes of Israel, uh, but they were still one nation. And it's okay for us to come from various tribes, but that doesn't have to stop us from being unified. Because why? We're all part of his kingdom, and the kingdom is all-inclusive, and the church is actually just a subset of the kingdom. But number two, we see also, he talks about a fullness of the knowledge of Jesus. When you think about the early church, man, they were really very effective in what they did. And when you think about them, they didn't have half as much as what we have at our disposal today. And look at what, how much they were able to accomplish. But I think the key was that they simply had more of Jesus and less of themselves. And then number three, he talks about this perfect man. And again, he's not talking about gender, but he's talking about his body in general. And the word perfect there means having reached full natural growth and development, which obviously speaks about the fact that time is involved. What am I trying to say? We are all work in progress. We might not be perfect, but one day imperfection will put on perfectionism. Amen. Immortality will put on mortality. And then number four, he talks about a maturity. He says, that's going to be a clue. The bride is getting herself ready. And one of the clues is she's going to be a mature bride. So what does that mean? That It means that we're no longer squabbling about trivial things and pointing fingers at each other. No longer staying offended, okay? Now, Jesus said offense must come, and it will come, but you don't have to stay in that place of offense. You don't have to stay in that place of bitterness. You can rise up and walk in forgiveness and allow God to heal and allow God to do whatever is necessary, but that's a sign of maturity. And then he says, number five, another clue is the fullness of the abundance of Christ. And I think about Joshua, how his mandate was to take the Israelites across the river that was in full flood and then enter a land that was inhabited by all these ites, the Perizzites and the Girgashites and the Amalekites. But they did that. And when they did that, they entered the fullness of the land that flowed with milk and honey. I want to tell you that Jesus is looking forward to the day when the bride, the church, will have made herself ready. And she, the bride, is the one who will make herself ready. And the way every bride makes herself ready is by the way she dresses herself. Listen to Revelation 9 and verse 8 in the New King James again. It says, and it was granted to be, uh, and, it, and to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. In the Passion Translation, it says, fine linen shining bright and clear has been given to her to wear and the fine linen represents the righteous deeds of his holy believers. Family, I want you to know that the righteous acts of the saints throughout history with, will clothe the church 
in a beautiful white linen gown. You say, well, pastor, what does that mean? What, what is that? That is simply, it's what we do, what we say, and where we go. I want you to know that the preparations of every earthly wedding pale into insignificance when compared to that final day when the bride, the church of Jesus Christ, has readied herself and Jesus, the groom, the last Adam, comes back for her. You see, while writing this uh, beautiful book, Revelation, John was in prison on the island of Patmos. And the Bible says that he was actually placed there on account of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And I said it, I think, uh, in one of my earliest sermons during this lockdown, that wherever the people of God are, there you will always find the enemies of God. Wherever the people of God are, there you will always find the enemies of God. And the truth is that the bride readies herself every time she endures the enemies of God. Every time the church exemplifies a counterculture of the word of the world, she is readying herself. Every time the church gives like Jesus gives, instead of taking, she readies herself. Every time she forgives like Jesus forgives, what's happening? She is readying herself. Every time she loves like Jesus loves, she is readying herself. Every time she is used by God to bless others, she readies herself. And this is the testimony of Jesus. This is what Paul writes, and, and I want to bring in this scripture found in Ephesians 2 and, and verse 10 in the Passion Translation. It's powerful the way that Paul writes this in the book of Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, and he says there, we have become his poetry, a recreated people that will fulfill the destiny he has given each of us. For we are joined to Jesus, the anointed one. Now listen, even before we were born, God planned in advance our destiny and the good works we would do to fulfill it. Come on, family. I want to challenge you. Let's think about the way that we spend our time. Let's think about the, the things that we allow to enter our minds through our ears and our eyes. Come on, let's be diligent to do the work of God, the work of the kingdom. Let's continue to do good and not grow weary for in due season, the Bible says, we will reap, amen? And someday, he's gonna come back, hallelujah. Like I said, I don't know what, when that day is, what hour it'll be, but what, are, what kind of things would you want to be doing the week that Jesus comes back? What would you want your worship to look like when Jesus comes back? How passionate would you want your witnessing, your sharing of faith look like when Jesus comes back? How faithful would you want your giving to be the day that Jesus comes back? What about your relationship with others? What would you want your relationship with others to look like when Jesus comes back? How would you want your walk with him to be like when Jesus comes back. Now, I want to end by saying this to you, that our works will never ever win salvation for us, but they can be gifts that we give to Jesus and others. 
And it's through these works and gifts that we dress and ready ourselves. And I want to encourage you. He's not coming back for a defeated church. He's coming back for a glorious church, a triumphant church, an overcoming church, a beautiful church, a radiant church, a church that is clothed and dressed and ready. And I want to just encourage you today. Hallelujah. There's a declaration that's coming up right now uh, on your screen. And I want you to begin to declare this. We're going we're gonna to declare it together right there in your homes. You might be sitting in your lounge or in the kitchen or wherever it is. But I, you are the church. And if you are the church, then this is a declaration that you, together with everybody else that is watching, can join in. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. Thank you, Father, for making me Jesus' church. I am the redeemed, washed in the blood of the Lamb, and my name is written in heaven's book. I am the dressed bride of Christ, and a dressed bride is a prepared bride. I am dressed with the garments of fine linen that have been washed and cleansed, and these garments are righteous acts. And I am dressed with the righteous acts of Jesus. I am that counterculture, carrying the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I am that light shining in a dark place. My works will never earn salvation for me, but they are gifts that I will use to love Jesus and others. All of heaven is backing his church. And for that reason, it is impossible, impossible for her to fail. She is an overcoming, victorious, and triumphant church, and that is who I am. I am ready and dressed. I am the church Jesus is coming back for. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise the Lord. With every head bowed right now, you're watching there at your home and you say, Pastor, you know what, I, I, I'm not, I, I don't think that I'm part of Jesus' church. I'd like to become a part of Jesus' church. You say, well, how, how does that happen? Do I have to, is it a membership? Do I have to pay an annual fee? Uh, do, are there papers that I've got to fill out? No, absolutely not. Becoming a part of Jesus' church is probably one of the greatest miracles that can ever take place in the life of a human being. And actually, God just does a, a, a work right on the inside of us in our innermost part. And today, even as I've been speaking right now, you know that your life is not right and you're away from God for whatever reason. I want to tell you that when Jesus died on the cross, he had you in mind. You're not excluded, even though we might have done several things and maybe you're not happy and, and, and you're not proud of some of the things that you have done. And I know that's, that's, the, that's the real effect of sin. That's the, that's the actual manifestation of what sin does. It brings in guilt. It brings in shame. And it makes you feel terribly condemned and terribly unworthy. But 2,000 years ago, that's the best thing that Jesus could have ever done. He died for you and for me. And then he was placed in the tomb and then rose and because he triumphed, it means that when we place our trust in him, whatever he accomplished on the cross becomes yours and ours by faith. And by faith today, hallelujah, we can become a part of the church of Jesus Christ. By faith, 
His blood in, in a moment can cleanse us and forgive us. By faith right now, you and I can receive eternal life. We can do it by faith. Won't you join me in this prayer right there, wherever you are. Say with me, Heavenly Father, I come to you today in Jesus' name. Just as I am, I ask you for forgiveness. And I want to thank you for your blood that by faith I receive the forgiveness of all of my sins, that by faith I am washed and cleansed. And right now, by faith, I am your church. I want to thank you, Jesus, for touching my heart and making yourself real to me, and my life will never be the same. In Jesus' name, Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. I, I'm, I'm, I get so excited when we do these uh, prayers and we lead people like this. And it doesn't matter who you are, where you are. If you have prayed that prayer, let me tell you, all of heaven is rejoicing. There is tremendous rejoicing. And you right now have become a part of Jesus' church. And one day, he's coming back for his church Hallelujah. And before we go, I want to just pray for those of you as well that are watching. And you are already a part of Jesus' church. That's okay. That's wonderful. Great. But like, I, I, I think that maybe a part of you was stirred. As I was preparing the sermon, a part of me was stirred. Stirred in my heart that am I dressed and am I ready? Should Jesus come back today? Would I be ready? Are there still things that are unfulfilled in my life, etc.? And I want to just pray for you, all right? Father, I thank you for every person that's watching. That today, I thank you. This is a challenging word that has come that we would ready ourselves and prepare ourselves. That when you come, God, we do, we, we're, we're not going to be ill-prepared. We're not going to be torn this way and that way. We are going to be dressed and ready. A beautiful bride. And I thank you that, Lord, we are work in progress. In the name of Jesus, I don't know who I'm speaking to right now, but I want to tell you, you are work in progress, right? Put that in the equation right now and just guard your hearts against trying to be too perfect and trying to be too correct. We, we will fail as long as we're wrapped up in this body of flesh. You will let people down and I will let people down, but we have to realize that we are work in progress as long as we are are yielded to the Holy Spirit. Father, I just thank you right now that there would come more of a yielding to your spirit. That Lord, you, you right now, God, that you would deal with every form of, of uh, um, spirit of religiosity that would try and make us more holy than others and would try and notch up all the kinds of works. It's not about works. This is not about brownie points. This is about just being open and responsive to the Spirit of God. And so I pray today, Lord, that the church, your church, would ready herself and prepare herself. And we bless every person right now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Thank you so much, family, for opening up your homes and allowing us to come uh, into your lounges and into your homes. We, we miss every one of you. We want you to know that. And we look forward to that day when we can all be together. Until such time, from me, God bless you. Bye-bye.